If you could turn with me to Amos chapter 7. We're going to be going through verses 10 through 17. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all its words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go in exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go flee away to the land of Judah, and eat bread there, and prophesy there. But never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is the temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son. I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Your wife shall be a prostitute in the city, and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. Good morning. I'd like to increase the energy of the room a little bit. If you guys can greet one another, like you haven't seen each other in a long time and you actually like each other, and it's like your best friend that you haven't seen, if you could just do that for 10 seconds, I'd really appreciate it. Thanks, I just needed you to be a little bit awake because we're in Amos. <laughs> I mean, Amos has been a great study, hasn't it? I mean, in the past few months, just shown us a lot about the character traits of God, that God is gracious, he's merciful, he is just, patient, long-suffering, that God continually appealed to Israel just as he appeals to us to turn back to him, to repent, because at some point, that patience runs out, that long-suffering ends with God's wrath. So Amos points out their rebellious hearts as we read the Bible, and it's pointing out our rebellious hearts and appealing to us for our obedience. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for these people, and I ask God that as we study your word, that you would speak to us through your scripture. Father, something that happened in 8th century B.C., yet so many relevant lessons and instructions to glean from it today and I pray God that this is more than just knowledge and information that we accumulate that it's more than just a feeling or conviction yet when we step out the doors it's gone but that this brings about a transformative change within us that conforms us more into the image of Jesus in Jesus name amen now when you think of Amos what's the picture that comes to your mind and for those of you who are new here, you probably don't have this picture yet at all. But when you think of a prophet, what do you think that prophet is like? And so I think our verses this morning are going to give us an insight into Amos' character, and it's going to show us his resilience, his courage, his bravery, his obedience to God, even when others come against him. Now something about Amos was Amos was an underdog, and... People love underdogs. That's why we love the Oakland A's so much. You look at the Bible, 
and we read of underdog stories like David and Goliath or Gideon and his 300 men against the Midianites. And so we love underdog movies. I mean, how many of you guys cried at Rudy? Only one honest person in this whole church. But we love underdog stories, sports teams, businesses, people that come from like nothing. We love those things. And what we have here in the latter part of Amos chapter 7 is an underdog story in the person of Amos. And so we'll see this underdog story unfold as Amos, his pedigree, his experience, his credentials are challenged by Amaziah, this guy who represents the man. We all know who the man is, don't we? The man. The man is the person in authority or in a position of power, and so sometimes we attribute that to the government or we attribute that to our boss or this big brother establishment, or sometimes it's just the religious establishment. And we have the man. It's just whoever's in charge. And in Amos' day, it was the religious institution that was in charge. And Amaziah was this guy who had all the resources and everything at his disposal. He had the religious establishment behind him. And Amaziah represented the man keeping people down. Because he was in the power to oppress. Now Amos, on the other hand, is the guy that's sticking it to the man. He's the one fighting back. He's the one leading this resistance. So here's Amaziah, this guy with a ton of influence, a ton of resources, a lot of power, a huge network of people to carry out being the man. And Amos, really a nobody, a shepherd from a small town called Tekoa down in the southern kingdom, Judah. And Amaziah, the priest of Bethel ton of resources, a ton of influence. And so Bethel was the place where, you know, they just had the spiritual swag about them, right? That was the place because they had the buildings and they had the money and they had the music and they had the celebrations. They had all this stuff. They had all the religious showmanship anyone could ever want. Amos had nothing. Amaziah on the surface seems to have everything, but you dig a little bit deeper and you see that Amos had all that he needed because the hand of God was on him to carry out his purposes. And so the verses this morning will show us that Amos went through these things, these challenges, and it's a lesson for us to know what to expect when we are in service to God, when we're standing up for God. And so the verses will show us whom we need to rely on, God, in the midst of challenges. And lastly, these verses will show us how persistence resilience, perseverance are key character traits of those who serve God. Now, why do we need to know what to expect even though God is with us? Why do we need to know that our reliance is on God and why do we need the character traits of persistence, resilience, perseverance while serving God? We've all heard of this phrase, right? The grass is always greener on the other side. And perhaps some of you are thinking that now. We know that other circumstances, other situations in our life seem more desirable than the ones we currently are in. But in reality, that's not always true. In every situation, in every job, in every ministry, relationship, whatever those circumstances, situations are, there are problems there. And so let's just get this straight right here this morning, right now. There is no place this side of heaven 
that is absent of problems. Right, and so we know this. Now, knowing this, we need to be aware of a couple of things. First, we as a church will face problems in our neighborhood, in our city, in our culture. That's a given. Second, ministry, service, relationships, purpose, vision, we will face all those problems inside the church with one another. It's a given proof. You look at Israel. Look at Israel, a people, a nation who had the hand of God upon them, but what happened? After King Solomon, the kingdom of Israel was divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom was Israel. The southern kingdom became Judah. Now, Amos was from Judah, called to deliver a hard message to the northern kingdom. There was some division there. Another great division was within the northern kingdom, Israel. Now, the northern kingdom had this great divide with its religious center of worship, where they had the rituals and customs and celebrations, traditions, where that used to be, or was supposed to be, Jerusalem. Now, rather than keeping Jerusalem as the heart of their religious heritage, King Jeroboam created a new place for this. He created Bethel. Now, why did King Jeroboam of the north do this to the kingdom of Israel? It's because he wanted to cut any ties Israel had to Jerusalem. He wanted to make this clear divide between his kingdom and what existed before. So he did everything he could to disassociate with Jerusalem, which was a shared religious center of worship for both the northern and the southern kingdoms. And so he shifted what used to be in Jerusalem to Bethel. Now, this is important information to know about Bethel. Bethel had religious priests just like Jerusalem had religious priests. But a key difference was that the priests in Bethel weren't just religious representatives. They were also political representatives. So when King Jeroboam named the religious priests, he was also appointing political representatives. So that's why Amaziah said in verse 13, Never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary. In other words, don't bring your religious junk into Bethel, because this isn't where God dwells. This is where the king dwells. So don't bring that stuff in here. And King Jeroboam's move from Jerusalem to Bethel was a political one. It wasn't because God led him there. He moved there because it was to strengthen his monarchy by diluting, by dissolving, dividing ties to Jerusalem so he could attempt to establish stronger ties to his reign in a new place, Bethel. And when we get to verse 10, we'll be introduced to one of Jeroboam's minions, Amaziah. Verse 10, Then Amaziah the priest of Bethel. Amaziah did not have pure intentions. He was a religious priest, but he was also a politician who wanted to keep the things the way they were because things were pretty good for a guy in his position. A priest and also the king's politician. I mean, this guy had it made. but He had it all. But then comes Amos, who delivered to Israel a word from God that would shake things up in Bethel. So as a politician, what do you think he'd do? Verse 10. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. 
Now I find that last phrase fascinating. The land is not able to bear all his words. This is incredible. Because can you imagine if someone of such influence that was on the king's political court, that was one of the king's priests, and he goes to the head of state, the head of the nation, and he says this about you. The land can't bear his words. You are a bad dude. I mean, you, you, you have some serious clout, power, influence. We have all this fluff going on in our nation. Our nation can bear those words. It's just a bunch of fluff. Our nation can bear these political words from agendas from different special interest groups. It can bear all that stuff. But our nation won't be able to bear the true words of God. There's a lot of religious fluff out there as well. And what the nation often hears from the Christian church, it just sounds like, um, you know the adults on Charlie Brown? It just sounds like that. It's just noise. And the difference between the priests of Bethel and God's prophet Amos is that. It's just a bunch of noise. While Amos, the land can't bear his words. His stuff is for real. Now the question is, who are we? Who are we? Are we just another religious organization making noise? We're against this. We're for this. We're this. We're that. We stand for this. We stand against that. Or are we prophets of God? Bringing to the world the message that God has given us to deliver. The world doesn't need more fluff churches. More people to stand up for this political agenda and that political agenda and doing all this stuff. Those are just churches making noise. It doesn't need another Bethel. The world needs people who have a message from God, who hear from God, and who speak His words, where the land is not able to bear our words. You know when you have a message from God? You'll have very active, very lively opposition. That's when you know just like Amos, you are guaranteed opposition. Guaranteed when you are effectively engaged in serving God. You are guaranteed there will be opposition, there will be harassment, there will be tribulation. You are guaranteed those things. Now, for some of you, you may be wondering, where is the ideal place to serve God? Where is the ideal place to serve God? Because we go back to this phrase, the grass is always greener on the other side. Now, if we always think that, then where is the ideal place? There is no grasses greener on the other side with this ideal place that I'm going to share with you. This is the ideal place. Are you ready? It's the truth. It's a secret to the Christian life. And I'm going to share it with you this morning. You've been waiting your whole life <laughs> for this revelation this morning. And it's Memorial Day weekend. And you're investing your Sunday here, so I'm going to give you something very memorially. <laughs> Ready? This is the secret. This is the ideal place. The ideal place to serve God is regeneration. <laughs> Kidding aside, for me it is. For you it might not be, but for me it is. The ideal place is where he placed you. 
That's the ideal place. And now for some of you, you need to be thinking like, what? That was so anticlimactic. I just, what? I am not sorry I disappointed you. I just have to let you know that. I just don't think you fully understood what I said. The ideal place to serve God is where he placed you. Romans chapter 8, verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, if you are serving in the place where God has placed you, God is for you. And if he is for you, who can be against you? Well, a lot of things. There are a lot of spiritual enemies out there. There are a lot of earthly foes. It's not that we won't face opposition or harassment or tribulation. We will. We're guaranteed that, right? And you all know that to be true. But we know that if God is for us, there's no match for God. But we do have enemies. Now, Satan is a serious spiritual enemy. That sucker's smart. He has studied humanity through our entire history. You know that? He's studied us. He knows our weaknesses. He knows how to strike fear into us. He knows how to discourage us, how to insert hopelessness and misery and rejection and insecurity. He knows all that stuff, all the stuff that derails you from the place God has placed you. He's an expert at having you look at where the grass is greener. He's good at that. So we have a serious spiritual enemy, and we have these earthly foes, the people, the circumstances, the culture, the world, the Amaziahs of the world. But we know from 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And even though Satan is smart and the earthly foes are relentless, their attacks, they're actually pretty predictable. I'm going to share some of these with you. They're pretty predictable. You can pretty much assume that they're going to take one of these three forms that I'm going to share you, or a combination thereof. First one is you're going to be misrepresented. You're going to be misrepresented. Your words, your actions will just be kind of uh, distorted in such a way that it includes truths, but it also includes lies. So it's this mix, and that's what Amaziah did to Amos. He twisted what Amos said. It changed Amos's message so that Amos's message and intent, it was totally distorted by Amaziah. Now, for any of you who are effectively engaged in serving God, know this. You will be misrepresented by others. It's going to happen. There will be misrepresentations of you, of your words, of your intentions. You look at what Amaziah said in verse 10. Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. In other words, King Jeroboam, I got news for you. Amos, that guy from the south that came up from Tekoa, he has devised this political conspiracy against you. It's a complete misrepresentation by Amaziah because when in the last six and a half chapters of our study has Amos conspired against the king when is that I mean he didn't go out there rallying people to riot or he didn't create some propaganda and some news to, to go out there against the king but you see how Amaziah distorted Amos's words Amaziah was a politician and so he saw this threat in Amos so he looked for a way to take him down 
Amaziah did not want to give up power. He didn't want to give up influence. He had a really, really comfy life. And the way to ensure that that didn't happen with Amos was to lie about him, to misrepresent him. So Amaziah makes this conspiracy out to be political, and then he makes something out to be personal. Verse 11, For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword. And he says, For thus Amos has said, And Israel must go into exile away from this land. Now, did Amos say that? You look back to verse 9. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Who's the I there? Was that Amos? That was God. So Amos didn't say that. Amos simply delivered that message from the Lord. But did he say what Amaziah claimed he said? No, he didn't say that. He was misrepresented. He made Amos's message personal against the king, saying, Amaziah is out to kill you. You, king. To make Israel leave, get exiled. And so he's making this thing a personal issue with the king now. Now something to keep in mind. When thinking the grass is greener on the other side, whether that be ministry or church, because we have people that are church hopping all the time or that aren't happy here, so they look somewhere else, or they weren't happy where they were before, so they're looking here. We have this stuff all the time. And just to let you guys know, by the way, the church pastor network is really small, and we talk about you guys all the time. <laughs> so we pray for you. We pray for you. And so... Whether the grass is greener on the other side for your job or whatever it is, whatever it is, you're going to face opposition. Things aren't going to be great. You're going to face problems there. You're going to face harassment. You're going to face tribulation. There also where the grass is greener, you're going to face it. Wherever you go, you will face problems. And when you go somewhere with the intent of serving God there, know that you're going to be misrepresented. Can we proclaim the word of God in our culture and in our society without opposition? There's no way. There's absolutely no way. Why is that? Because in Christianity, there are moral absolutes. Do you think you will not face hostility claiming moral absolutes in this culture, in this society, in the Bay Area? Impossible. If there is no opposition, if you face no persecution, no trial, then are we sharing biblical truth? Or is the church silent? Are you silent? Are you a silent follower of Jesus because the only way not to face opposition is to be silent or to misrepresent God because once the Christian starts to speak out God's word there will be opposition has the church have you stopped speaking the words of God if we're so well integrated into society that people can no longer tell the difference between a follower of Jesus and anybody else, you may have gone the way of Amaziah. When doing the work of God, you're going to be misinterpreted. You take a look at Nehemiah chapter 6, where Sanballat, which, that's just an awesome name. It's like a music genre or something. Have you listened to that Sanballat today? No, anyway. 
and Geshem, right? Sambalat and Geshem, they intended to hurt Nehemiah. The story is here in Nehemiah 6, verse 6. Sanballat wrote to Nehemiah, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you, Nehemiah, and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. And he was wanting to lure Nehemiah to come out to harm him. Then I, Nehemiah, sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. And you look at Jesus who faced this misrepresentation. Matthew chapter 26, verses 59 and 60. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, but they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. Now, if the prophets of God and Jesus himself faced opposition for speaking God's words, don't you think we will too? And if you haven't faced opposition, then the obvious question is, have you really spoken the words of God at all? Or have you gone the way of Amaziah? Or are you just completely silent? Now Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, Jesus said this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, one of those prophets persecuted before us was Amos. So, one of the attacks we'll face is in the form of misrepresentation, and another attack will be in the form of the opposition telling you to go away, leave. Verse 12, And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, and eat bread there, prophesy there. Go away. Leave. Just get out of here. Amos was called by God. He was sent by God to deliver God's word to Israel. And then when he got there to Bethel, he was told to leave. Now, how many people have left where God has placed them, where God has purposed them to be prematurely? How many people have allowed failure and difficulty, disappointment, irritation, discouragement, and they've allowed those things to seep in and take them out of where God has placed them? A ton. There are a lot of people that have left prematurely from God's placement of them. The average tenure of a pastor is three years. And I'm not saying they moved to another church gone from ministry. They leave the ministry three years. Guess what it is for a youth pastor? A year and a half. That's why Brett's going back to South Africa. <laughs> we did it! No, I'm kidding. Um, Brett has actually been a youth pastor for 15 plus years. He has sensed God's call where he's placed him. He's stuck through it. Talk to him and he has been misrepresented. 
Now, you don't have to be a pastor to do God's work. And in fact, most of God's work is not done by pastors. But you do have to understand that when you are doing God's work, you will be misrepresented and you will feel pressures to leave. And whether that's an Amaziah in your life telling you outright, get out of here, get out of my face, no more Jesus talk from you, just leave. Or you'll have some other things pulling you away from your calling. Now sometimes God leads you away, but the thing is, is God has to do that. Right? God has to do that. Not other influences, not the Amaziahs of the world. Amaziah told Amos, go back to Judah. Eat their food. Eat what's familiar to you. Right? Go there and prophesy there because you'll have people listen to you there. Just go home. You know, you're going to feel safe. You're going to feel secure. You're going to feel good being in a place you're really comfortable with and you're familiar with. But Amos stayed true to God's call. He didn't go away. Attack number one, you will be misrepresented. Attack number two, there will be causes that occur that tempt you to leave prematurely. Whether that's people telling you to go away, leave, you know, get out of my face. And this is the third attack. And this one might surprise you. It's religion. The attack of religion. The attack of religiosity. Verse 13, But never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is a temple of the kingdom. The religious institution of the day was empty of God. It was just a shell. Empty of God's words, empty of prophecy, empty of His presence. Where religion became this place of cultural ritual, absent of a relationship with God. And so when we look at Easter or Thanksgiving or Christmas, and they are celebrated here in the United States with big fanfare and malls are decked out and all this stuff is going on, it's without God. There's so much religion out there that is absent the heart of God. And you know what? People who claim to know God are the worst. How many people have left the church because of the church? Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 27. And when they had brought them, they, the religious folks at the time, the religious institution, set them before the council and the high priest questioned them. This is the early disciples saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. You know, we talk about persecution, and often the picture that we have of those who persecute are those who don't know God. Right? That's the picture that we have, that it's this group, or it's that religion, or it's this secular group. I don't think that's always the case. Because if you look at church history, you'll see that Christians have been seriously persecuted by those who claim to know God. Much of Christianity's persecution comes from institutionalized religion. You look at the Roman Catholics and how they persecuted the Protestants in the 16th century. Or how the Anglicans persecuted the nonconformists or the persecution of the Anabaptists during the Reformation. And who led that persecution? Calvin, Luther, Zwingli, all the people that we look to now for our theological studies, those guys. 
It's sad. And you know what all those who persecuted had in common? It was the state religion. It was an institutionalized religion. It wasn't just spiritual, it was also political. You just look at the history of the persecuted church. It is full of Amaziahs. And this is what Amos faced. How did Amos persevere? He remained faithful to God's call. And you look at how he responded to Amaziah, starting in verse 14. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. See, Amos didn't have some fancy resume, no fancy education, but he knew the Lord took him from where he was, spoke to him about what he was going to do. He was called by God, and he went. He said, go, and he went. Now, some of you may be wondering about a call from God. When he takes you from what you are doing, and he says to you, go. Well, you need to be on the lookout for a couple of things when you're discerning the call of God in your life. One is to be mindful not to over-spiritualize it. Right? And when you do that, you begin to second-guess your calling because you start doubting that you can be used for something by God. And then you get discouraged and then you hesitate to go when He's actually told you to go. The other thing to be mindful of is to under-spiritualize your call. Because when you do that, you put yourself into ministry rather than having the Spirit guide your steps to your calling. And whenever you are the one that is guiding your steps to ministry, it's a bad idea. If you are not called, do not go. You're going to cause a lot of harm. You're going to cause more trouble than good. Now, Amos was able to withstand Amaziah's attacks because he was called by God. It wasn't based on his credentials, his education, his experience. It was because the Lord took him from where he was at as a shepherd or whatever he was doing, a dresser of sycamore figs, and he said to him, go. And it was that simple. And when you know the Lord has taken you from where you are and tells you to go, that's the ideal place for you to be. There's no better place for you to be. Verse 16, Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore thus says the Lord. Sometimes we get caught up in what people say. The you say. Right? We get caught up in that. When we really need to listen to what the Lord says. And what the Lord says through his people aren't always the easiest messages to deliver. And you look at the rest of verse 17, this is not an easy message for a guy from the south to come up to the northern kingdom and deliver. This is what he says. These are fighting words. Your wife shall be a prostitute in the city. Excuse me? Those are fighting words, right? And your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. And the thing is, that prophecy all came true. It all came true. So may these words of Amos be a solemn reminder that we're not here to gain respect from others. We're not here to gain political influence. We're not here to get institutionalized 
religion under our belt so that we're in and we can feel safe and just do whatever we want. Now let's get something straight about the separation of church and state, which I believe is a good thing. The separation of church and state wasn't meant to keep the church out of the state. It was meant to keep the state out of the church. It's so that we can keep our position of you say, but thus says the Lord. You say, don't pray. But thus says the Lord, pray. You say to do these things against the Lord or don't do these things that are in accordance to the Lord. But thus says the Lord, don't do these things against his will and do this stuff for his will. You say yes when the Lord says no. You say no when the Lord says yes. Now if we aim for the world's consensus, for the church to be embraced by society and culture, that's a weak church. That's a dead church. God used rebels to change the world that fought against the institutionalized religion of the day. They did not seek consensus. Who they sought was the Lord. They didn't seek to make church cool. They just obediently served the Lord. Now questions for us, are we more like Amos, devoted to the Lord's will, devoted to God's word, one who listens to the voice of God, or are we like Amaziah? Just kind of spiritual facades on the outside, but really on the inside, we're devoted to the world. Silent about some things or misrepresenting God on some other things so that we don't face the hostilities and the opposition. Now when we meet God face to face, what will God really find in us? What will he see in us? Someone like Amos or someone like Amaziah? Let's pray. Father, I pray for your equipping of your saints to do the work of the ministry. I pray, God, that you would unite us as there may be divisions within the church. That, Lord, we would be focused on you. That we would be listening for your word and for what you say, Lord. Not what the world says, but what you are saying to us. God, for those who are struggling with call, I pray for them, Lord, that you would give them discernment. I pray, God, for those who are looking at the grass is greener on the other side, that if it is indeed where you are leading them, that you would speak clearly to them and that you would be guiding them and that they wouldn't be going there by their flesh. That, Lord, we'll always face problems and thank you for that reminder that we will always be misrepresented when we're engaged in godly activity representing you, that we will be told to go away and that we're going to face opposition from those we thought are on our side in terms of those who claim to be Christians or claim to be God-fearers. God bless these people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.